Okay, good afternoon. The parable of the vineyard from Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 18. And he began to tell the parable, the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and threatened, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come, destroy those tenants, and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. And he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written, the stone? that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Okay, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can um, know that the word of God is uh, the eternal, inerrant, infallible word of God that is given for us so that we can live this life in a way and know to live in such a way that is pleasing to you. We pray that you would use this portion of scripture to help us to understand who you are as well as, as, well as uh, understanding what it is that you desire of us, our attitudes, our direction in life, our purpose in life. We pray that you would use this time. And uh, especially as we prepare for the retreat, may our hearts be hungry and seeking and ready for more of you. Be here with us, we ask. Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this parable follows directly after the passage that we saw last week. In the previous passage, we saw how the religious leaders that Jesus was interacting with, who would eventually end up killing Jesus, we saw how these religious leaders had an issue with Jesus' authority. That's what we saw last week. They did not want to submit under Jesus' authority because they wanted to be their own authority. They wanted to live their lives in such a way that they can dictate what they do with their lives. They wanted to be their own authority. So right after that, Luke says, he began to tell the people this parable. So that's what this parable is about. That's the context of this parable. Jesus is addressing the attitude of these religious leaders through this parable. The religious leaders who say in their hearts, I don't care what your authority is or what God is in my life. I want to be the final authority. And that's just something, kind of uh, the context we want to think about as we uh, approach this text. I'm sure you talked about it in small group this past week. The many different ways that we want to be the final authority in our own lives. The ways that we want to dictate how my life goes and want to shun off the authority of God. And that's the context and that's why Jesus tells this parable. First, the forgetful tenants. Again, verse 9, man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants, went into another country for 
a long while. So we're immediately told who the main characters are in this parable. First, there's a man who planted the vineyard. So he is the owner of the vineyard. And the others are tenants, tenants of that vineyard. This was a common practice in that culture. Many times when Jesus tells a parable, he uses a common practice that they're familiar with in that culture. The owner of the vineyard would rent out the vineyard to tenant farmers and would eventually receive a portion of the crop for lending it out to them for them to work. The owner and the tenants obviously because of their relationship here, they obviously had different rights and responsibilities pertaining to the vineyard. The vineyard belonged to the owner, and the tenants had an obligation to submit to the owner's terms. The owner planted the vineyard, and the tenants had the privilege of working there and had to follow the obligations that came with that relationship. Jesus also says here in verse 9 that the man who planted the vineyard went into another country for a long while. It's important to note this, that even though a long time has passed, even though his absence has been long, that did not change the term of their agreement. Verse 10, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So it was the, the owner's right to claim some of the fruit of the vineyard. This should not have been a surprise to the tenants. This is something that they would have already agreed to. The tenants were obligated to give some of the fruit to the vineyard, uh, to the vineyard owner. But when the time came, again, there's a reference to time. This takes place sometime later, after the original agreement was made. And a lot can change over a period of time. The owner had been away, so his absence for a long time made the tenants think that they owned the vineyard. Right? And that's exactly how they respond. The tenant responds, as if they were the owners of the vineyard. They treat the servant of the owner as if the owner had no claim on the vineyard. And we talked about this kind of heart last week, about the heart that we saw in the religious leaders and how that heart is in all of us, that desire to turn away from God's authority and be our own authority. And that's what we see through this parable. Just like these tenants we're prone to think that this is my vineyard. This is my life. I can do with it as I wish. While we're to function as tenants, we want to live as owner, owners of the vineyard. We don't want to submit to God's authority over our lives. We want to do whatever we want to do as if we own the vineyard. That's what we see here. Um, I just walked in through the door, the double door downstairs to the, that leads into the church. And uh, I came in right behind someone, and, uh, and they held the door for me. Um, and, you know, and that's a very common practice. When someone holds a door for you, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> you say, thank you. 
Um, so I didn't think of this illustration just because it happened. It's actually here in my notes. Um, this happens frequently. Like a lot of times, I don't know why I think about when I go walk into the YMCA, right? Like I'm walking in front of someone. And so I open the door. And then some, I see that someone's coming behind me. So I open the door and I step aside and I let them walk in first. And if you do that for someone, normally they say, thank you. And it works the other way around. Sometimes like you're walking in front of someone and then like you open the door and you walk in, but you don't want to shut the door you know, right behind you because someone else is coming. So you walk in and then you hold the door like this behind you and allow that person to, to catch the door. And even when you do that, they say, thank you. That almost always happens when you do one of those two things, the person says, thank you. But sometimes you open the door, you step aside, you let them walk through the door first. Sometimes they completely ignore you. They walk through the door that has been held for them as if you are not even there. As if it was their right to have the door held open for them. And uh, at the YMCA, it's usually a teenager that does that. Why? That's one of the mysteries of the world that only God knows. So the point is, how does that make you feel when someone does that? Oh, okay. The point is, that's exactly how we are with God all the time. God does amazing things for us. And we act like it's God's duty to do those things for us. We act like it's our right to be served by God. God entrusts us with, this, with his vineyard, calls us to bear fruit in our lives. He entrusts us with our lives. Bear fruit for me, and we act like we're the owner of the vineyard. Now, one of the, not only that, but one of the key things, I think, in following Christ and, and really living for God is to not forget things, not forget things that God has done for us over time. It's so easy to forget over time, after a long period, what God has done for us. Just like we see in this parable, after a while, we begin to think, hey, this is my vineyard. I've been working here. Where's the, where's the owner? I don't see him. This is my vineyard. Now, I haven't seen too many Korean drama series in my life, but there's one that I have seen that was hugely popular in the early 2000s called Winter Sonata. And those of you who are unfamiliar with Korean dramas, most Korean dramas have, have, uh, some, have intentionally have some elements in the plot designed to move your emotions. So, for example, things like a lover gets amnesia, right? I mean, like, how can you not be moved when someone who you love can't remember you? Or your, a lover becomes blind. Or your lover is possibly your long-lost sibling. Now, in this drama, Winter Sonata, it has all three of those elements. Okay? In this story, I mean, if you haven't seen it, don't go... I'm not saying go see, I'm not recommending, it's a really long series, 
that's, that's I'm just going to like capture the theme for you. In this story, Chun Sang and Yujin are the two lovers. They fall in love in high school, and then he disappears. Right? Okay? So they're, they're, they're sweethearts, high school, uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. And then he, all of a sudden, disappears. Ten years later, she randomly sees him from a distance in the streets. But now, ten years later, she's pledged to be married to someone else. And on top of that, he does not remember her. But, as Korean dramas go, but despite all those things, she still has deep feelings for him. So now, she has to live with the pain of being forgotten by her, by the person that she loves. You see, that's what God constantly has to go through in his relationship with us. Every single day, God says, consider all these things I have done for you. And every single day, we say to God, what are you doing for me this very moment? And God has to constantly live with this pain of being forgotten by the one he loves. You see, it's not supposed to matter how long the, the owner has been away. He's still the owner and the tenant cannot forget his obligation to the authority of the owner. The forgetful tenants. Secondly, the patient owner. The patient owner. Verse 10, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants, but the tenants beat him, sent him away empty-handed, sent another servant, also beat, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed, sent yet a third, when also they wounded and cast out. Now, this is a part of the story that gets kind of ridiculous, right? Because the owner sends the servant, and the tenants beat him and send him away. And right here, any common landowner would see that there's a problem with his tenants, and he would do something else, right? Like maybe get the authorities involved or something. But that's not what this vineyard owner does. Rather, he does the same thing again. He sends a second servant who they also beat, and then he sends a third servant who they also beat and, and send away. And, the, and the, the, the parable leads us to this question. Why in the world, why in the world would the vineyard owner keep sending his servants repeatedly? And the answer is because this owner is not of this world because he's different. This is the persistence of God who keeps on patiently reaching out to his rebellious people. Um, you know, in my previous church, I used to organize the drama ministry. And what that meant was, among other things, every Friday, there would be a skit with a theme in the skit that sets up the sermon that the pastor was preaching. 
So I'd run this ministry. And so weekly, I'd run through these skits with the people in this ministry. And of course, there were variations in acting talents among the people in the ministry, right? There were some people who were really good. There were some people who were kind of bad. And there were some people who just could not remember their lines in the skit. I'd give them just a few lines to say in the skit, and, you know, um, time comes to actually act out, and, 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 and they'd mess up the line. So in the next skit, the following week, I'd give them less to say. Right? So maybe just one line. And again, sometimes they'd mess up that too. So, they, the, so the way it would work was you get, you get a chance. You get a chance to be in this ministry and to, to you know, like do these things. You get a chance, maybe two chances. But after that, keep messing up your lines. In the next skit, you play a tree, right? a very silent tree. But you see, in this parable, you mess up your lines, and then God gives you the leading role in the next skit. And then you mess that up too, and then God comes and gives you the leading role again in the next skit. Because that's how God deals with us. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Like after a blessing retreat, we make promises to God that will eventually break. But then God's not done with us. He does not give up on us. He continues to speak to us, right? It might be through that sermon. It might be while you're having a meal with a friend. It might be at that Bible study or a prayer meeting. God continues to plant within us conviction, conviction after conviction. The same conviction that we said we're going to do something about but didn't really follow up on. But God continues to work in our hearts, planting that within our hearts. Why? Because the owner of this vineyard is patient. He offers many opportunities for tenants to, to realize the situation and submit to his authority. That's what God desires from his people. He's the patient owner. Thirdly, lastly, the prevailing son. Verse 13, then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Okay, so the tenants were not going to submit to the owner. No matter how many servants the owner sent, the pattern was not going to change. So as a last resort, the owner sent his own son because the son represented the very presence of the owner. It's as if he was going there himself. And at this point, you know, we can kind of see who the different characters in this parable that Jesus is telling represent. Obviously, the owner of the vineyard is God. And the tenants, these evil tenants, are the religious leaders that he's talking to. But then there are other elements here that, that coincide with different things. Isaiah 5, 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Is that verse there? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And in Jeremiah 7.25, from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants 
the prophets to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear or stiffen their neck. So the servants are these prophets that were sent by God to declare his word. And, uh, you know, in our, in our passage when, when Jesus tells a parable and says, the, the owner says, I will send my beloved son. I mean, that's kind of like a, a specific way to identify his son, right? My beloved son. Earlier in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, a voice came down from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So obviously the son represents Jesus. So this parable captures really the story of how God has dealt with his people throughout history. In verse 14, but when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When the son came to represent the owner, maybe the tenants assumed that, that, that it was because the owner was dead. Maybe they thought, so obviously the owner's not there himself. himself the, the, the son comes in his place. Why would the son come? Maybe it's because the owner is dead. And they thought that if now they got rid of the son, then the land could be theirs. So even though the presence of the son was supposed to be a stronger incentive for them to you know, fall in line and to pay the, the, and things like that. But instead, they kill him because he was the son of the owner. They're unwilling to submit to the owner of the vineyard. They want to rule the vineyard themselves. So they try to claim that position of owning the vineyard by killing the son because he is a son. And of course, this points to how the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, the Son of God, so that they can be their own authority. And ultimately, it points to a rebellious humanity that wants to get rid of God so that we can be God ourselves. Continuing on in verse 15, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. So what does Jesus say to these religious leaders who want to kill him to live according to their own authority? Jesus points to both grace and judgment. There's grace because God is patient. He sent his messenger after messenger, and then he sent his son. And Jesus will die on the cross for the sins of the world, the world that wants to kill him so that they can be God. So there's grace, but there's also judgment. After the son, there are no more messengers coming. He's the final one. After the son finishes his work, there won't be any more conflict for the, for the vineyard. Those who embrace the son will be forgiven. Those who reject the son will be destroyed. Now, because Jesus said things like these, these things, and because the religious leaders who heard him didn't like it, that's why they ended up killing him. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, while Jesus was dying on the cross, the same religious leaders were saying, see, look at what a phony he was. All of that stuff that he said about the vineyard and, and God's authority, 
Look how, look, look what came of that. We got the last word. That's exactly what they're saying here in verse 16. That's, it's that, it's that same message when Jesus says, he'll come destroy the, those tenants, give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. When Jesus was on the cross, that's exactly what they're saying. Surely not. Everything that he said, surely not. Verse 17, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In response to their surely not, this is not true. What you're saying is false. We can be our final authority. In response to that, Jesus points to something that the Bible teaches over and over again. The stone the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. In other words, God will reverse the evil shown by the tenants and bring about his good plan. The principle that we see over and over in the Bible, that God is this master judo master. He takes the momentum of the enemy's attack and flips them around for the purpose of his good plan. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Um, one commentator says a Jew Jewish proverb, and I don't know if this is true, but it's just, you know, like I'm not an expert on Jewish proverbs, but kind of, you'll kind of know what it's saying. The Jewish proverb says, if the stone falls on the pot, alas, for the pot. If the pot falls on the stone, alas, for the pot. You get that? If a stone falls on the pot, the pot's going to break. If the pot falls on the stone, again, the pot's going to break. Either way, the stone wins. And that's what Jesus is saying. Those who oppose Jesus or the gospel will never destroy Jesus or the gospel. They will only destroy themselves. God's kingdom will not be overthrown. God's kingdom will be established. And God's kingdom will prevail. Because Jesus, in submission to God, will see the fulfillment of God's plan worked out who reverses the evil shown by men and turns it around to accomplish his good purposes. Um, if you were, uh, I'm just going to share something right now. If you were um, at prayer meeting last week, I just shared about how I've been kind of feeling down lately these days. And uh, at the prayer meeting, when people were there and were there to pray for the retreat, and then they prayed for me, um, and uh, I don't really feel much better, so you need to continue to pray for me. And uh, I just, it's kind of the, the backdrop to that is just, uh, I've just been like feeling a lot of uh, stress um, and accumulation of a lot of different things. I think it started when I was preparing for oil, a week or two leading up to oil, it was just really uh, stressful trying to get ready for the oil conference, which was you know, early January, and, uh, and then, you know, we got done with that and came back, and right after that, we got word that Christine's grandmother was in the hospital and very 
very ill. And so she unexpectedly had to go to Chicago for a few days. And, and uh, when she did that, like my schedule just uh, like quadrupled because she was gone and she does like, she does like three times as much as I do, you know. So I was tough, you know, get doing all the, 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 the family things and the kid things on top of trying to prepare for the retreat that I was speaking at the following week. And then she came, and then right after that, the day after I went to speak at CFC's family retreat, and, uh, and that was pretty intense. Uh, it was very blessing, but very burdensome, uh, and got through that, very tired. But right after that, I came home Sunday night, knocked out, um, and then Christine again wakes me up and says that her grandmother passed away. And, uh, um, and then so that added more difficulties in our family schedule. I just couldn't get away because uh, the weekend was coming up and I had to be here. And so she went again to Chicago by herself. And uh, so all those things going on were going on in the family. And, and then there were uh, um, you know, a few things that are happening at church that was really weighing on my heart. Um, several things, right? several things that were happening all at once. And uh, an accumulation of all of that, I've just been feeling pretty down. I don't know like how else to describe it, just been feeling down. And uh, I mean, one thing I, like, that kind of showed me, I know that I'm like not myself. I think it was last week, I woke up, and uh, one of the things I started thinking about as I woke up was I started recalling, I, I, I recalled this memory of my early childhood when I was in Korea and I was playing with my, my cousin. My cousin, who's uh, she's like um, probably like 10, 15 old years older than me, and I remember like just playing. Like she was like holding my hand and spinning me around, and we were playing. And for some reason, I don't know why, I thought of this, and like I started crying. Literally, I started crying in my bed, thinking about this and thinking about my family in Korea and stuff. And so, something I realized like something's off because this is weird for me. And. Um, and part of this, I think, is just the difficulty of uh, being a pastor. Definitely a very burdensome and lonely job. Um, try to carry a lot of burdens for different people. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, it's not like, uh, um... <laughs> okay, anyway. Okay, so, uh, so I'm just sharing because I'm just uh, asking you to pray for me and, uh, Obviously, we have a retreat coming up this coming weekend, and we really want it to be a blessing time for our entire church, and um, I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, but if I can just end with one other thought, even in the midst of a, a lot of different things going on, a lot of burdens that we, and I'm sure you know you can resonate with a lot of these kind of things that I'm feeling. I'm sure you have your own issues and different things that you're dealing with that I'm sure are in many ways a lot more acute and intense than whatever I might be going through right now. But something that the Bible constantly tells us over and over again is that no matter what we go through in our lives, is that we can actually have hope in all circumstances. In all circumstances, we can have hope because we do have a God who actually knows, who actually uh, has a pattern of doing this in our lives, where he takes the evil, he takes the, 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 the bad intention things, 
the, the evil-hearted things that we bear the, the burden of in our lives and somehow turns it for the good of his purposes. How he takes a stone that the builders rejected and actually used it to become the cornerstone of the kingdom of God that he's building for all of eternity. And we need to be strengthened by that as we continue to live our lives in alignment with his authority over us. Let's pray together. It's just amazing how, um, you know, if we don't stay close to the word, if we don't humble ourselves in prayer, it's just really amazing how easily we become so arrogant and proud in our hearts. Like we actually come to God and our attitude is, what have you done for me lately? Right? Like we stand there as if he's obligated to open every single door for me, as if it's my right to walk in like the king of the universe. And uh, we, we just act like we're the final authority. This is my vineyard. This is my life. This is my kingdom. While all along, God is patient. He's loving. He's forgiving. He bears the burden. He's the good shepherd. He's the ultimate pastor of our lives who continues to live with the burden and the pain of being forgotten day by day by the people he loves. Let's just uh, go to the cross. Let's see the cross and see the gospel story shining through the cross. And uh, submit ourselves under his hand. Give ourselves willingly to his authority. Let's do that at this time. And just even, even if you're having uh, whatever burdens and challenges in your life today, just come before the Lord and entrust our situations into his hands and ask that he would, he would take over. He would work in our lives. Let's just pray for a moment before we close our time in worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, we glorify your name. Despite circumstances, no matter what's going on in our lives, you're worthy to be praised. Help us to remember the goodness of God, faithfulness of God, yesterday, today, tomorrow. Be with your people. Help us to worship you, not only in this moment, but with all of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we join our hearts and pray together for the retreat for next weekend? Um, it's so true. I think uh, I'm sure if we were to all take turns and share all of our burdens and different things going on in our lives, you know, I'm sure we can like fill, you know, notebook after notebook of all the things that we're dealing with um, because we live in a fallen world. You know, there, there's hardly anything that's 
working out the way that we think it should. So many different things that are affected by sin. And we bear the burden because of it. But in the midst of it, we have a God who, who is constantly at work, who's calling us not to take matters into our own hands and to, to uh, desire to be our, our own authority in our lives, but is calling us to submit to him, to trust in him, uh, to be aligned to what he wants to do, no matter how he wants to do it in our lives. And so, so trusting in a God like that, let's just pray and prepare for this retreat. Pray that God will speak to us. Pray that God administer to our hearts and to the real situations that we're dealing with. And let's pray that not only for ourselves, for everyone in our church, everyone, everyone who comes to be able to experience the, the grace of God, to, to experience the fear of God so that we can live our lives submitted to his will. So let's pray that together for a moment. And we'll sing one more song before we finish. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that no matter what, no matter what, we can always sing of your goodness. Help us to remember your past faithfulness and help us to not forget. Lord, pray that in the present, you would help us to experience you, live in your daily presence, in your day, daily covenant love, Help us to be near your word. Help us to humble ourselves, get on our knees, in the posture of our hearts, humble ourselves, seek you in prayer, bearing all our burdens, not depending on ourselves, trusting in you, knowing that you are the one that holds the universe in your hand, knowing that we can do nothing apart from your grace. Help us to trust in you, submit ourselves to you, be the humble people of God that can actually recognize the goodness of God even in the small things daily as we trust in you and depend on you. Lord, be with us throughout this week. Help us to prepare day by day. May there be more of an eagerness and a hunger to receive your blessings, to, to see you more clearly, to meet you and experience your presence in our lives. Bless the retreat. Pray that your people be strengthened no matter what we're going through in the real burdens of our lives and the grace that you provide so that we can go through it in the strength that you provide, all for the purpose of glorifying and declaring the greatness of your name. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, incredible, unchanging covenant love of the Father God, and the fellowship, and the strength, and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever.